Children up to the age of three can go to the back, and if you're here, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to continue our emphasis on the blessings of the church, uh, the blessings that the church has received through Christ today. Uh, last week in verses 1 through 6, uh, we spoke about the election of the Father, how God saves and is building his church through, the, uh, through election, through his, act, his sovereign act of election. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the redemption that we have in the Son. That's verses 7 through 10. And then next week, Lord willing, we will uh, speak about, or I will speak to you about the uh, sealment or the sealing of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and keeping us for eternity uh, so that one day we will um, be glorified in the presence of God. And that's going to be verses 10 through 14. Now, these blessings, uh, this is pretty heavy stuff. I told you last week that you know, you, you wake up in the morning and you fix yourself a pretty hearty breakfast, pancakes, eggs, bacon. You, let's put some biscuits on there, too. Two, two breads instead of just one, right? Just that stuff that sticks to your gut. That's, that's the kind of theology we're, we're walking through here in, for, in the first chapter of Ephesians. Uh, so I, I hope that this is spiritually edifying to you and this is very nourishing to you because this is what sets the, the difference between someone who knows these things and someone who does not. Uh, someone who has uh, both devotion towards God and has, has uh, uh, solid theology um, has, a, has a stronger relationship with the Lord. Um, they, they know how to handle the things that come at them at life or in life. Is it perfect? No. Uh, but having that, that solid uh, theological mind uh, does help to think through some of life's uh, trickiest things. And so uh, this, to me, this uh, really helps us today talking about the redemption of the son. Uh, this helps us to understand how God saved us, but it also helps us to understand uh, what, how, how we should respond uh, to God in saving us and the effectiveness of, of, of his saving us as well. Uh, so these blessings that I'm talking about, specifically these three, they're foundational to our existence. But if you remove Christ out of the equation, we, we don't have these blessings. That's why these blessings, Paul talks about them being in Christ. He emphasizes that over and over and over again here in chapter one and throughout the whole book. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. In Christ, you are elected by the Father. In Christ, you are redeemed by the Son. In Christ, you are, healed, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of, of, of final redemption. So, if you remove Christ, we have nothing. That's why Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So it's pretty cool how our study in John and what Christ said of himself continues on through Ephesians. And if really, you can make that connection with all the epistles uh, because it's a continual teaching. It's Jesus's teaching just repeated by Paul uh, here. So it all makes sense that our, our, our existence without Christ um, would, be, would look a lot different. And if you remember how your life was before Christ, I don't have to sit, stand up here and explain it very much. You, you know how you were. But when Christ came to save you, he changed things. He changed you. And that, in fact, changed things. So praise God for that. So only in him do we receive these blessings. 
So last week, I preached about the election of the Father, and today I, I want to focus on the redemption that we have in the Son. And without being redeemed, this is something that we have to understand. Without being redeemed, we would be lost. Now, that, does, that language doesn't hold much, much weight nowadays because it's, it's part of our Christian lingo. We, we say that one day we were lost and, you know, now, now we're found, right? Uh, one day we, uh, we were unbelievers and now we're believers. But to understand how lost we were, to understand the predicament that we were in, uh, that, that's where we need to get. We need to understand who we were um, and, and, and what God did to save us. And I hope that I can do that for you today. Uh, but what, what, I, what I want us to really focus on is that, is that you know, the effect of him, of Jesus dying on the cross, um, what, what kind of effect did it have on us? Because when we talk about being lost, we must understand that while we were yet sinners, and that is an enormous statement, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So something, there has to be, there has to be something that comes out of that, and that's what we're going to focus on. We'll learn about the, the effectiveness of uh, the son's redemption, his purpose in redeeming us, and then the final outcome of, of his redemption, but let's, let's start talking about just redemption in itself as, as a word and, and what it means here biblically. Look at verses, uh, well, let me read the verse to you first and then we'll do that. Verses 7 through 10. I got ahead of myself a little bit. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, uh, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And as I told you, if, if you don't get it that, that we have all these blessings in him, Paul reassures us and, and reaffirms that very often here in this first chapter. Um, every time he mentions a blessing, he talks about it being in Christ. Now, when we talk about the word redemption, we need to realize how Paul uses the word. It's pretty cool because when Paul uses the word, not only in this epistle, but in others, it's linked with a, um, a promise. It's linked with the forgiveness of our sins. Very often when Paul talks about redemption around the word or near the word, he, he talks about the forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to give you some examples here. Uh, the very first one is uh, in Colossians, Colossians 1.14. This is what Paul says about redemption. He says, uh, let me read 13 and 14. He says, he has delivered us from the uh, domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay, so that's, that's the redemption work of Christ in whom we have redemption, comma, the forgiveness of our sins. You know, though the redemption and the forgiveness of our sins with Paul, they're, they're, they're very linked to one another. Another example is Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Uh, this is what Paul says here. He says, if starting with verse 23, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through 
the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Right? There's that link again. We're justified and redemption. We're forgiven and redemption. Uh, for the sake of time, I'll just share one more with you. But this one here is from um, 1 Corinthians one uh, thirty. Let me see if I can turn there real quick. I have all these bookmarks in my Bible to be a little bit quicker, and sometimes they confuse me. First uh, Corinthians one thirty. It says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, there is this connection between the forgiveness of our sins and God's holiness working in us with the term that Paul uses, uh, redemption. Now, somehow, through the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. We, we know that, right? That's, that's what the Bible tells us. Somehow, somehow we receive forgiveness of our sins through his redeeming work. The question today is, How? How is that? We know that, yes, Christ died for us. And because Christ died for us, we're forgiven. We've been taught, if we've been going to, to church for some time, we've been taught that all the way through Sunday school as when we were a little child. See, but the Bible is very clear on how God accomplishes this for us. And it is, it is extremely humbling and very important to our Christian walk that we understand this. First, we should start with the word redemption. Now, to be redeemed is, is something that is very special because, again, not everyone is redeemed, only those that God has elected or redeemed. So to be redeemed in the biblical sense means, the, means to be bought back from something. And I use it, the word something in general just, uh, you know, first to kind of lay down a, ba a basic definition of it, but it's more specific than that, especially here in Ephesians chapter one. When Paul uses the word redemption, he means buying back of a slave or a captive. You see, so Paul is, is, is he's using this word on purpose. It's on point to what he's talking about. So he's saying, he's saying that in Christ, we have been redeemed through his blood. So if you use the, the basic definition that Paul uses or the biblical definition that Paul uses, Paul is saying that we have been bought back from our slavery or our captivity through the blood of Christ. That's, that's what he's saying. What we have to understand and what many people don't is that when we were not in Christ, we were held captive. We had a master. You see, there are many people who don't follow God because they refuse to have a master. They refuse to have to answer to somebody. Rather, they say, I live my own life. I do things my own way, not realizing they have a master. Right? If we are in Christ, then God, God is our master. He is our God. We are his people. And that is a beautiful and wonderful proclamation that we can make. But if we are not in Christ, the Bible says we have a master. He is the enemy. He is the devil. That's why 
we are enemies of God. Either God is our master or he's our enemy. One way or another. We stand on one side or the other of that door. He is either our God, our master, or he is our enemy. But see, people think that they are not being held captive. And the thing is, is that we are. We were. When we were not in Christ, we were being held captive by the enemy. And the fact is, when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, it, it, it explains to us that the devil pulled off the largest human heist in world history. We hear of these tragic stories of, of children and, and people being abducted, taken without their permission, put into slavery, taken advantage of, hurt. But the devil, he did that on, on, on the grandest scale ever. Because when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, then we understand that when the devil enticed Adam and Eve into sin, he gained ownership of them. Remember, there had to be a blood offering for them. When they put on their clothes, when they noticed they were naked and they put on their clothes, what do you think the purpose of clothing them was? Yes, to cover them, but there was a blood offering for their sin. And when we look at the Old Testament, that blood offering had to be continually repeated and repeated and repeated until Christ came and he died once and for all. But you see, when they fell, he took ownership of them. They had to be bought back. And since they fell into sin, the Bible says that they were our representatives. They were uh, our, figure, our, our figurehead. The rest of humanity fell with them. So we fell into captivity with Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve sinned. Now, this is reflected by Paul in Romans 5.12, and I want to read that for you. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's speaking of Adam here, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's the issue. That's the issue we have. We, are, we have all sinned, and at one point or another, we were held captive by the devil. He was our master. And when we were held captive, we did things that we regret. When we were held captive by the devil, we did awful things against God. As I was writing this sermon, I was trying to think about something that we could relate to today that could give us a better picture of how ugly this whole thing was. And there's this tragic thing that goes on today. It's modern day slavery, and it's called human trafficking. People are, are being stolen from their families. And it used to be where it was just children, but now adults, everybody, they're being stolen from their families. A lot of people who are trying to cross into America, they're being taken advantage of and stolen and held as slaves. And they have been required to do things that they would not do by themselves, not do on their own. 
atrocious, horrible things that they are made to do against their will. They, 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 they don't want to do this, but they know they have to. This is a picture of how our life is as the enemy or with the enemy as our master. Except it's not against our will. We voluntary, voluntarily do what he asks us to do. When he was our master, we, we followed orders, even though it made us feel horrible. We stayed with them, even though he asked us to do these horrible, horrible things. And the funny thing about human trafficking is that a lot of people think it looks like a situation to where these people are being held in houses and they're not able to be let out. Uh, They're just there. The thing is, is that they're able to live their lives. But at the end of the day, they know they're coming back to their captor. They know they're coming back to their master. Isn't that a picture of us when we were without Christ? We went about our day. We went to work. We were, had relationships in our families. We did everything. We maybe even went to church. But at the end of the day, when we were not in Christ, we returned to our master, the devil. He held us captive. See, that's a picture of the way we were. We lived our lives for our master, the devil. Always having to return to him. And sometimes maybe we did not want to. But yet, there we went. We went back to him time and time again. And our lives reflected that. Our lives reflected that the fact was that our master was the devil. We lived in sin. We lived against God's word. We lived as enemies of God. And this is how our life looked. Like I'm trying to paint this picture so that you can truly see how ugly it was without Christ. And you may think, well, you know what? But from a worldly perspective, I wasn't that bad. I'm asking you, brother and sister, to look deeper than a worldly perspective. I'm asking you to look at this from a spiritual perspective. From a spiritual perspective, your life was horrible without Christ. From a spiritual perspective, you served the enemy when you were not in Christ. He was your master. When you were not in Christ, there was nothing that you did that pleased God. Now, these aren't my words. I'm I'm, I'm quoting what the Bible says. Because without the spirit, there is no pleasing God. You know, so these are the awful things that we did. And I know it sounds like really horrible, bad news. And it would be if we did not have Christ. But this is we we have to dive that low to see how we were to celebrate where we are now. If we can't appreciate where we are now, we're not diving deep enough to see how ugly in sin we were before we before we met Christ. He changed everything. See, when Christ came and died on the cross, 
The price of his blood, Paul says, bought us back from our captor, the devil. And when he died for us, not only did he buy us back and just like release us so that we can just live for ourselves, that wasn't the point of his redemption. The point of his redemption was to buy us back from our captor to live for him. That was the point of his redemption for us. You see, so we are not our own man. We're not our own person. We're not our own God. We don't just answer to ourselves. I know, I know kids think that parents don't have anyone to answer to. Right? When you talk to your kids and you, you set expectations, you set your, the, the, the law, so to speak, in your family, they're like, no fair, you don't have to live according to that law. Oh, yes, I do. We all have a master. And thank God for us that our master is loving and merciful. Thank God for us that, that our master is the best master we could ever have. Because we belong to Christ. And now we have been called to please him. That's what our life is about now. Now, do we get confused about that? Oh, definitely. That's why we need a sermon like today. Because we get, we get distracted very easily. We get distracted with our jobs, with our possessions. Uh, we, we get distracted with, with just how we want to live our own lives, what we want to do. In relationships, we get distracted. And many times we need to be calibrated. What we have to remember, too, though, is that not only did God buy us back from our master, but, but this is like the cherry on top. All that we did for our captor, all that we did for the devil, remember as, as, as his servants, all that we did for him is forgiven by the blood that Christ spilt to buy us back. So in essence, his blood did two things, bought us back where he possesses us and also by his blood, we are healed, right? Our sins are forgiven. So two wonderful things that are accomplished by his redemption. And what Paul says is that the richness of God's grace accomplished this for all who believe in him. All who believe in him. And that includes the most vile sinner. The most vile sinner. I'll raise my hand there. And that was me, right? I hope you're doing the same thing. It's unbelievable how God can forgive us and when you start to think about how we are redeemed and what that means, it, it, it gives you a deeper appreciation for what God did for you. Paul talks about the richness of his grace and how God bought us back and, and, and what the effect of that was. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to go back to Romans 5 and I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 for you. Um, he says, 
in, in his continued discussion about Adam and Christ, he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, uh, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many, uh, following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Beautiful passage there to explain that God has undone what Adam and Eve did through the devil's enticement. He has defeated sin for us. And in Christ, we have the redemption of our sin. See, this is the effectiveness of God's redemption for his people. God, who is rich in grace, Paul says here in our passage, lavished us with this grace. The word lavished is pretty cool. Paul uses it a couple of times in different epistles. It just means to give in abundance. Not just, but that's, that's its meaning, to give in abundance. It's like when your kids ask for something and you surprise them by giving them more than they ask for. I know it doesn't happen often, but sometimes it does happen. And they don't deserve it, but yet you give it. That's a picture of us. That's a picture of us. And that's, this is the, the word Paul uses to let us know that this grace that was given to us, it wasn't just enough. Or it didn't fall short to do what it needed to do. He lavished it on us. So he gave us an abundance more than we'll ever, ever need. God gave us an abundance of grace when he redeemed us from the enemy, the devil. You see, this is what we all have to realize. And this is very important. If we are in Christ, the grace which God has lavished on us will never be conquered and it will never be depleted. That is a wonderful and beautiful thing. It will never be conquered and it will never be depleted. Why? Because God lavished this grace upon us. Why did he do that? Well, because he's rich in it. He's rich in mercy and grace and and anything that we want to mention that is good. It never runs out. So that is the redemption that we have in Christ. And that's the effectiveness of it. But notice here in verses 9 and 10. This word carries on uh, sort of the same message that Paul was talking about in verses 3 through 6. When we talked about the election of God. Verses 9 and 10. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, 
has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, let's understand this. God did all this, the redemption of our souls. He did all this according to the purpose of his will. And this is, the, uh, this is where Paul continues on with the sovereignty of God. Uh, here it is at the forefront of, uh, of his writing. There's no denying it here. When, when Paul is speaking about God, about God electing us, God redeeming us, and God sealing us, he's doing it through the process of his sovereignty. That means he is in complete control of that. It's not only that he knows, because we know he's all-knowing, but these are things that he has determined. And Paul sets the stage for us and tells us that these things were decided before the foundation of the world. Right, So God is completely sovereign in this process. And just to remind you, I want to go back and, and, and highlight some of the things Paul has said about God's sovereignty. Even Paul's calling, he understands, it was accomplished through the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 1, Ephesians 1, verse 1. This is how he starts the book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, how? By the will of God. By the will of God. I mean, Paul could have filled in the blank and he could have put some other things there too. Paul was a very educated man. That could have been what he relied on to get to where he was, but he knew that wasn't the truth. He says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. And then he also says in verse 5, talking about God's election, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. How? According to the purpose of his will. He, he likes that phrase because he uses it a couple of times. Uh, look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then he continues on. Not only in verse 7 does he talk about that, but he also talks about how that is for the purpose of his will. And then verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, now listen to this, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right, so... This is a continual theme here. Paul was talking about how God uh, was sovereign in our election, that he handpicked us. And Paul is saying that he is sovereign in our redemption. We have to see the pattern here. So if we're going to understand God being sovereign in our redemption, this is what we have to understand. In the fullness of time, or basically at the right time, at the right time. And what is that right time? Well, the time that God determined in his sovereignty. So in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem his people. It wasn't on accident. And when he redeemed you, it was the same process as when he elected you. So God elected you. He chose you. 
And then he sent his son for the purpose of redeeming you. That's what's so special about it. You weren't saved as an accident. All along, God knew you. And his act of redeeming you was to save you from your captor. He had a mission. And your name was on that mission. His mission was to save you. I don't know how much more personal I can make it. You see, sometimes we think, well, it just worked out for me. I was at the right place at the right time, or chance had it, or whatever. We think it just just kind of happened. No, God loves you more than that. And God is more powerful than that. In redeeming us, he saved us specifically. See, this was according to the plan that God had put forth before the foundation of the world. No one had to remind him to go and get you. No one had to remind him that you were lost. No one had to tell him where you were. No one had to encourage him or convince him to save you. He did it for the purpose of his will. And according to the riches of his grace. See, God redeemed us. He redeemed us according to his own purpose and completely, completely from the richness of his grace. It wasn't us helping him. I have a, Jonah and I have a deal right now we're working out. I have agreed, if Jonah saves enough money, he's going to get a PlayStation 5, right? And I have, in order to help him, I have agreed to pay for half of it. He has to save half of it, and then Mama and I will come and and pay for the other half. That's an agreement that we have. He's working really hard, working really hard to get there. He gets distracted sometimes by seeing some other stuff that he wants, but he's working really hard. And I'm his banker, so in order for him to pull money out, he has to come through me. And I'm not a very easy banker. But see, this is the picture that we have of salvation and redemption sometimes with God. What we have to understand is God was sovereign in the process of electing us and choosing us and redeeming us. And he did it all by himself so that no one would boast. So that it would be a gift to us. We see sometimes in our minds we have this we have this picture of us meeting God halfway. That's why I gave you the example of this PlayStation 5. Jonah's working to pay half of it. I'm working to pay half of it. And then and then it's going to be his or at least half of it's going to be his whenever it's all said and done. But you see, it doesn't work that way with God. We didn't meet God halfway. There was no good in us. God wasn't waiting on us. Like all these things that we hear all the time. 
God was sovereign in redeeming us. See, but there's a question that a lot of people have when they hear this. Because if if you're going to believe that God was sovereign in redeeming us, then you have to believe that your sin was horrible and that you were in an evil state and that there was nothing that you could offer God. You were the most wretched, wretched sinner before Christ came along. See, when they hear, when people hear a message like this, they have this question. Why would God send his own son to die for the sins of people who hated him? That, that's a question that's wondered by many. The answer, well, Paul gives it to us here in Ephesians in verse 10. The answer was, or is, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. To bring all things together. Why? Because that's the way it should have been. When you go back and look at the garden, that's the way it was before sin entered the world. That's the purpose of, of, of Christ, his, his earthly ministry. And that's how, that, that's how, when everything is concluded, that's how it's going to be. All things in heaven and on earth will be brought together under the, the, the headship of God through Christ. Colossians tells us about this. I want to read this for you. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this out of verse 16 through 20. And this is Paul writing this again. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. See, this is why all things are going to be come together in him. Because all things were created by him and for him. Or through him and for him. Look at verse 17. He continues on. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, that's beautiful. That's the purpose of God's redemption for us. In a sense, that has been somewhat fulfilled now because through his redemption, through his blood. See, this is what we have in common. We have all been redeemed by the blood of Christ. What, it has, what has that done for us? It has united us. We're here together every Sunday, some more than others. Amen? We're here together because we have his blood in common. We have fellowship with one another because of his blood. We have this special relationship between one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because of his blood. It has united us. It has brought us together. But we still haven't seen the fullness of that. Why? Because we still deal with sin. 
We don't know what perfect fellowship is like. But we will one day. We don't know what it's like to really be a church without sin. But we will one day. When God decides that it's time for that to happen, it will happen. And we will all be united in Christ. So when we talk about the mystery of redemption, this is what it's saying. It's saying that you were once held captive by a ruthless master. Ruthless. Tore your life apart. Took everything from you. Led you to do horrible things. Things that you now regret. To led you to do horrendous sin against God. That's where redemption starts. But by the loving kindness of God, redemption continues on and says you were bought back by the blood of his son. Now, this was done not because God saw any potential in you, not because you had something to offer him, not because he needed you in his army, so to speak. I, I hear that, too. Not because he needed anything from you or from anybody. He redeemed you. He bought you back for his own purpose. And according to the richness of his grace. When he bought you, you had nothing to offer. When you were bought back with his blood, not only did he, not only did he free you from your captor and, and, and took possession of you and gave you life to the full, but he also, he also provided a way for your sins to be forgiven. Why? Because he paid the price with his blood. That's why Jesus says, if you are in me, you have life and you have it to the full. Listen, whenever you were held captive by the devil, you did not have life. That was death. You were the living dead. You were walking around and, and all, all you thought about was sin and pleasing your father, the devil. But Christ changed that for you. He redeemed you. He took ownership of you. And made it to where your sins were forgiven. But this is where it gets kind of tricky for some of us. Because we know that even though we belong to Christ, we still battle against the flesh. Now, listen very carefully. If you are struggling with something that is sinful today, first of all, you need to know that you don't have to do it. You see, there's a pattern of behavior that we develop when we're unbelievers. And sin takes control over us. And we get to the point where we think we have to do this. 
And there's different reasons of why we have to do it. And, and listen very carefully. This is, this is stuff like, not only, I mean, this, is, this pertains to everything. Because we all deal with some sort of sin. If it's sexual in nature, that's easy to identify. But what if, about, what if we deal with the, the, the sin of anger? Right? Or what if we are just worrisome people? Or what if we have a drug habit? Or an alcohol habit, addiction. You see, whatever that sin is, there's a reason why we did it. Even though we hated it, it helped us to feel better. If it was to forget about something, to lose ourselves in it, or just the pleasure that it brought, we felt like it helped us. So then, therefore, if we were not in Christ and we didn't get our help from above, that's the way we got our help. So we got to the point where we were dependent on that sin and we felt like we had to do it. Just to get through, I have to do it. I have to go back to it. See, that's, that's what the enemy convinces us of. That we need our sin, but when we are in Christ, he is our fullness. He's supposed to be. When we are in Christ, we don't need that sin because we have Christ. He truly gives us what we need. He truly fulfills every pleasure in us. So the first thing you have to realize is that if you are a Christian today, you don't have to sin. You don't have to do it. You have a different master. He loves you. He cares for you. He'll never forsake you nor leave you. And the redemption he's provided for you, it will never, ever run out. And it will never be conquered. But the other thing that we have to come to the realization of is God bought us back for a purpose. And as I told you before at the beginning of the sermon, it wasn't just to set us free, but he bought us back so that we could live for him. Look at Galatians 2.20. This is what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, that needs to be our life's motto there. We were bought back from a horrible situation. Now, as we reflect on our life now, and we look at Galatians 2.20, are we living a life that honors God? Do we seek the things that God seeks? Do we hate the things that God hates? If you're honest with, your, with yourself, the, the answers to the questions are, are not going to be perfect. There's room for all of us. There's room for sanctification in all of our lives. Now, what we have to do is we have to, when we leave this place, we have to see in areas of our life where we fail him. Ask for forgiveness and, and, and grow. Ask for growth and continue to trust in him in the whole process. But look, and, and our praise and worship team can come up here already. But this is, this is what I want you to do when you're thinking about that. 
Never forget, never forget what God redeemed you from. And that is so hard to do because if you're like me, I like to reminisce. I, I, I have a good long-term memory. I can, I can remember specific things about things a long time ago. So I, I like to go back and think about my childhood. I like to go think about, but I have to do that now with the perspective of that time. In that time, although good things happened to me, I was lost in my sin. And my heart sometimes wants to go back and I have to remind myself By the grace of God, I am what I am today. And so many of us, we might think the past was better. Well, if that past included you not being in Christ, it was never better. Don't long for those days. Glorify God today. He redeemed you. Now live for him. As this song plays, we're going to give time for prayer. If you want to come up here and pray or if you want to pray at your seat, you can do that.